0: Is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle.
1: And I'm Emily, and this is the week of March. 27 through 31 uh, and we've got jeopardy episodes to talk about and, and a big announcement that they made that we're trying to get our heads around but before we get into jeopardy how are you doing kyle
0: i'm doing fine two months of school left till till mm-hmm. summer break and right. uh, got some performances got some standardized testing mm-hmm. which at least are low stress days for me it's a lot of standing around doing nothing And uh, my kindergartner yesterday learned from her teacher to live her truth. And so what that meant for her yesterday was to, during dinner, go into the kitchen and get a big pair of tongs and then use that to pick up her individual kernels of corn and eat them. (laughs) And when I said, what what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I was told, well, my teacher told me to live my truth. So that's what I'm doing. And I was like, I, I don't even know how to argue with that. <laughs> so that's how I'm doing.
1: That's great. Yeah. I, oh. <laughs> that's amazing.
0: I mean, I'm happy her teacher is telling her that. <laughs> I don't know how we got from point A to point B, though.
1: It's <laughs> delightful. And like, if that's how she wants to live her truth going forward, that seems benign
0: <laughs> it seems benign it seems like it will make her life unnecessarily difficult but okay mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. great Around how are you t- oh Sorry. yeah I, <laughs> I uh i'm good i'm good we're we're into spring break now and holy week is about to start so that is great <sighs> yesterday we had our community quiz bowl in my town it's like the fundraiser that the high school quiz bowl team does where they put on a quiz bowl event for parents and local community members, interrupting questions with the buzzer is really different. And mm, yeah. we got trounced a couple of times, I think because the buzzer strategy is so different and I'm just not used to it. And I kept mm-hmm. thinking, you know what? Like, let me just, let me just let them finish that phrase and nope. see, you know, I could, I could do okay, but I would have to like really retrain myself. But I I did have a really good round where I managed to make myself buzz in early. And we had somehow just a run of questions that related to deep dives we've done on this podcast. So there was like, like a question started that was like, this country's treetops hotel. And I buzzed, I'm like, Kenya. <laughs>
0: They're like, <Nailed> what?
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> and then there was like four weeks ago, right? I did a I did a deep dive on Sylvia Plath, or maybe mm-hmm. it was six weeks. So there was a question that was like, you know, this 1963 novel is semi-autobiographical and includes an internship at a fashion ma- And I like before like they even finish fashion magazine, I, I'm in with The Bell Jar. Maybe a, maybe a better quiz bowl player would have been in at 1963 semi-autobiographical, but maybe
0: maybe. Hey, you know what? That's it still fe- pretty good.
1: It felt very fortuitous. I mean, there was also. I don't know whether this is normal across quiz bowl formats, but the format that my high school team mostly competes in has like a speed round where you choose your category, you get 60 seconds and there are 10 questions. You get a choice of three categories. If you get to pick first and, and you know, the uh, other team picks from the remaining two. And we were, we were given a choice of something else or poetry. And I went with poetry And it was it was great. It was glorious. So happy I was for given you. I was given a line of a poem and had to name the poem. Very nice. And it was excellent. I got it, it, We Real Cool was in there, which I did a Linda oh, nice. deep dive yeah. a while back mm-hmm. and would not have known that without having learned about her in that yeah. way. So that's, that's yeah. awesome. Just just lots of trivia. Just trivia yeah. things. Yeah. Man, That's um, exciting. Yeah. And hey, Jeopardy made a new announcement about the postseason, which I'm still getting my head around, but they're having this champions wild card tournament, which the second chance tournament, I think is going to feed into that instead of directly into the tournament of champions and the champions wild card is going to include a bunch of, or maybe all of the champions who didn't qualify for the tournament of champions. Is that right? Like, does everyone it, go to a tournament now?
0: I I guess. I mean, that seems to be what it that's is. A lot, that's
1: a lot of people, though, that's right? Lo- like, do they narrow it down somehow? I don't know. I'm, I'm a little confused about this.
0: I Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it, there are a lot of logistical questions about it. Mm-hmm. For one, when is this going to go? Is it going to be pr- prime time and thus a separate mm-hmm. time slot? Or is it going to bump regular games? Mm-hmm. And... If it is a primetime thing, what, like, God, the crew must be run ragged with all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, I I mean, I like Michael Davies energy. Mm -hmm. I like, you know, most of the things that he's been coming up with. I don't know how I feel about it because I don't I mean, I have I have multiple feelings. One of those is there is something special about hitting that benchmark where you won enough games to qualify. Mm-hmm. Like I, I felt, I felt pressure in my first game because I like, it was the first game and I was like, Oh, I just want to do well. I want to make sure I do, you know, blah, blah, blah. but after I won the first game, I was like, well, pressure's off now. Cause like, it was, it was all gravy. But in that fifth game, there was that part of me that was like, but if I win this one, if I win this one, I'm in the yeah. tournament. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't want to be like, it cheapens it or it makes it less special or whatever. You know, like, I don't know, there's there's something nagging at me about it. And it's not like, you know, if you win four games, you're just not as good as someone who wins five games. Like, we, we yeah, all know like, that Like the actual number you get is not necessarily representative of anything.
1: Right. But like winning lose. champions have won a game. Right. Like, I don't know. There's something for me about the second chance tournament. I, there there's there is a logic to, you know, fluky things can happen. On mm-hmm. Jeopardy, right? And there's a logic to acknowledging people who brought a great game and, you know, hit some bad luck. Mm-hmm. of you know in a and like some of them like in ways that were really obvious right you know somebody right. who outplays matamodio but then somebody else outplays matamodio even more on the same day right, right. like yeah that's, that's bad luck and there's some there's i don't know i there, i feel i i get the logic of the second chance maybe it's because i've won zero games of jeopardy but
0: <laughs> i i get what you're saying when you when you have won a game you've won a game you've won on jeopardy you are you a got, champion yeah, and that's mm-hmm. That is special and, enough,
1: yeah. and like the 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 whole like the whole crew makes everybody feel like gives everyone a really strong sense of you have, you know, really accomplished something just by being here, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like the bronze medal of the Olympics' it's still you're still, still at the Olympics, Olympic medal, yeah. right? yeah, yeah, but i I I'm not sure I see the logic of this. And, you know, selfishly, if what we'd like to do now is just bring a lot of people back onto Jeopardy to watch them play again, I would love for eligibility yeah. to be expanded back into, say, season 35 or thereabouts, give mm-hmm. or take. I mean, yeah, so honestly, for whatever, like, for as far reason. back, you know, like, yeah, I mean, no particular reason to cut it off at season 35, but that's when I played, right? Like,
0: yeah, I, I agree. I'm pretty sure that that will, sad as it is to say this, I'm pretty sure that will never happen. Yeah, I don't think it's going to. I, I don't know if this is, I've am pretty. i never heard, you know, in any of the listening or statements or anything, never heard Michael Davies say this. But I get the impression that he, you know, something that he values is distancing his, like, reign mm, at yeah. Jeopardy from the predecessor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't think anything before he got there with the, with the exception of like the fact that the run of super champions began at a, you know, before he, he took on the the role of executive producer, Mm -hmm. I really don't think he's going to be reaching back to anything that happened before he was there.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think, I think, more if if there were to be eligibility for contestants from before his tenure i think that the way that would look is that they would get rid of the once you've been on you're not eligible to enter again in the general contestant pool restriction and they would say you know if you haven't been on jeopardy in 10 years you know feel free to take the anytime test or whatever if you've won zero games and and haven't been on in the last 10 years or something like that you know i could see i could see them going that way although you know Seems like they're not hurting for contestants, also, right? Like, no,
0: it doesn't. But, and to that point of probably not reaching back, Mm -hmm. um, when they announced the Jeopardy Masters thing that's coming up, Sam Kavanaugh had a pretty uh, poignant thread on Twitter about it. In that one thing that really hit him hard, and I hadn't even really thought about it, but when he mentioned it, like, yeah, it, it seems, I don't know, it just seems wrong that every previous tournament of champions winner has been invited back to the show for something more. Yeah. And Sam Kavanaugh was not.
1: Mm, yeah. When they
0: announced the Jeopardy masters, they included everyone from this last tournament, but not the previous winner. hmm And I, I, that, that, I mean, aside from me thinking like, Gosh, that's not the way it should be. It also kind of drove home to me the idea that, yeah, I don't think Michael Davies is going to even is going to touch anything before he, his time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're onto something there. Which I feel bad about. I mean, I I, I am
0: confident, you know, of course, that I, I had plenty of time on the show. And yeah, I, I am overjoyed with what i had as much as i may dream of like you know another you know ultimate tournament of champions or whatever where they just invite a whole bunch of people back i'm pretty confident that i'll never be on again either so, mm-hmm. yeah i don't um, know It it feels i'm sure it'll be entertaining it will probably be good jeopardy i don't know there's there's just something about it that that almost feels a bit too gimmicky yeah or something. i don't mm-hmm. know
1: mm-hmm. yeah i hear that yeah i don't know i, ho- I hope i'm wrong <laughs> Yeah. But but yeah, I I agree. Well, hey, should we talk about this week's episodes? Yes. Monday, March twenty-seventh, we had the contestants Kevin Manning, an engineer from Kansas City, Missouri, Nicole Rudolph, an associate dean from Williston Park, New York, and Tamara Gatos, an editor from Chicago, Illinois, whose one-day cash winnings total fifteen thousand six hundred and one dollars. And the Jeopardy round categories are the Statue of Liberty, You're Gonna Need a Bigger Bowl, British to American Language Translator, Fantasy Sports. I led what cabinet department and number 1 movie with one in quotation marks.
0: My very first R-rated movie that I ever saw was in that number 1 category, the $600 level. Mhm. Get off my plane says an I rate Harrison Ford to a soon to be ejected hijacker in this 1997 thriller. That was Air Force 1, I believe if I recall, it was a double feature with I want to say men in black
1: huh. and air force one. Okay.
0: And so yeah, we went to that lines up. I think so. I could be wrong. It could be a different movie, but I think it was men in black. So we went to see men in black. And then my parents were like, well, it's a double feature. So we might as like, we got nothing else to do. We might as <laughs> well stay. And then my brother and I were mostly bored out of our minds for air force mm-hmm. one, except for the, you know, violent parts, which were like, Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll always remember that was my first, at least in the theater, R rated movie.
1: Mm hmm. Congratulations. Uh, (laughs) Thanks. Thanks.
0: Not the best one to have like, you know, to to hold that esteem. It was fine. It was Mm a
1: fine movie. Okay. The $400 level of you're going to need a bigger bowl. The clue is Mm -hmm. a bigger bowl of the ice cream. Whose name is a dairy product and a nut. Yes, please. Tell me why it could not be peanut butter. Peanut is a nut. Butter is a dairy product.
0: I mean, yeah, I guess if you call it peanut butter ice cream, I, I feel like you would need to distinguish it as peanut butter ice cream, because if you just said peanut butter, that is yeah. by itself not ice cream.
1: Right. But butter pecan is what they were looking for. Right. Right. Yeah. But
0: although I will say, if we want to get pedantic, peanuts, peanuts aren't, aren't a nut. Yeah. <laughs> if it had yeah. said an, and a legume, mm-hmm. then sure. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's that's fair. I was sort of. I mean... I mean, (laughs) fair for for people like us. Yeah. I I think that I I suspect that Jeopardy has referred to peanuts as nuts many times and probably has also had a handful Mm. of clues noting that they are not in fact, actual nuts, like botanically Mm. speaking or whatever. Sounds like a pretty bold claim you're making there. Right. Like if somebody rang in and said peanut butter, would they have had to give it to them? Nobody did. Tamara got it. She got butter pecan, Mm -hmm. but I just, I thought peanut butter, And then tomorrow got butter pecan. And then I thought, I wonder if they would have had to give it to somebody if they'd had peanut butter. Yeah, it's clumsy. It's not the most elegant answer to the question. To that answer, but I think it fits all the parts. Peanut butter is a separate thing, though. Mm -hmm. Peanut butter ice cream is not peanut and butter ice cream.
0: Right. That's true. Uh,
1: Yeah. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious how it would have been adjudicated. Yeah. We'll never know.
0: No, we'll never know. Daily Double number 1 is in the Statue of Liberty category at the $800 level. Pick number 13. Kevin finds it. He's at $1,000. Tamara's at $2,000. Nicole's at 2000 And he bets it all. Gets the clue. The statue's internal flexible skeletal system was designed by this Frenchman, known for his iron work. And he guesses who is Bartoli. Bartoldi. Who apparently was the sculptor. Today I learned. But that's Gustave Eiffel.
1: I, I really feel for it because go, going for the deep cut like that mm-hmm. right like I did not know but I also did not know Bartoldi, but Kevin did mm-hmm. and, and that sucks <laughs> yeah too bad for <laughs> him
0: good job for knowing things <laughs> like that's why you're on jeopardy yeah
1: it's, it's mm-hmm. a shame
0: when it's like but I know but I know all of this I know more yeah, yeah. so the scores at the end of the jeopardy round. Tamara's at $2,400, Nicole is at 5800 and Kevin has recovered. He's back up to 3000 And we have the Double Jeopardy categories. What a Bunch of Caricatures, The Bible, Figures of Speech, We Quote Mr. Tease, Islands of the Far North, and I Like American Music.
1: The $2,000 level of What a Bunch of Caricatures. She's the talented Mr. Ripley author depicted here with one of her beloved cats, that is Patricia Highsmith, and I didn't know that when it was on Learned League, and I also didn't know it when I watched the Jeopardy episode. So
0: <laughs> I didn't know it when it was on Learned League, and I said, ah, oh, shoot, that's that name from Learned League when it was on mm-hmm. Jeopardy.
1: Yep, yep, same, a- same.
0: But now that I have learned it twice in a short period of time, now it will stick. Mm-hmm. That's what I need. Anytime I see something the first time and I don't have a bunch of stuff to connect it to, I'm like, well, this is going to go in one ear and out the other. Yep. There are at least a few different clues with that we have done deep dives on mm-hmm. in this round. For instance, we quote Mr. T's $800 level, who's the boss in 1871 in New York City. It was certainly him. As long as I count the votes, what are you going to do about it? That was boss tweed. Kevin got that. Mm-hmm. In the islands of the far north, the $1,600 level, the high Arctic is home to October Revolution Island. And this island, named for the party that seized power during that time, that's a. Bolshevik Island,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: I also did a dive on the revolution.
1: Yep. You've um, done
0: a number of dives on the Bible or various that's true around the Bible.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure I've hit any of the stuff that we covered here. Have I? Maybe uh, not. not. Not specifically. Mm, yeah. There was a rough miss and rebound on the $1,600 level of the Bible. After the Last Supper, Jesus traveled to this garden to pray and was arrested there Kevin tried, what is the garden of Gethsemane? It's not Gethsemane, it's Gethsemane. And he was so close. Mm-hmm. He was so close. Tomorrow got the rebound.
0: Yeah. It's so tough when it's like you clearly know the facts. Mm-hmm. But you did say the wrong thing. And that means it's wrong.
1: You got what, like four like eight of the nine phonemes correct. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Daily Double number two is in Islands of the Far North at the two thousand dollar level, and tomorrow finds it at pick number eight. She has eleven thousand six hundred. She is way in the lead with Nicole at thirty eight hundred and Kevin at a thousand. She wagers five thousand and gets the clue: Canada's northernmost point, Cape Columbia, is on Ellesmere Island, part of this vast territory created in nineteen ninety nine. She tries what is the Northwest Territory, but Nunavut is that what we were looking for here.
0: Yes. Did I do yeah. a deep dive
1: on Canadian geography? You might have. I feel have. like I did. I, I think like you I did. did. Yeah. I think you did.
0: Yeah. That's three in this round.
1: Uh-huh. I'm never quite sure what, how to say that one. but yeah. it's more of an more of a schwa or like a uh, like a like a short u or if it's more of a
0: ooh. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I probably just because we're Americans I always heard it as just like none of it. Mm, yeah. But that's pr- that's probably not correct. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, okay. Daily Devil number three is in We Quote Mr. T's at the $1,600 level. Pick number 23, Nicole finds it. She's at 12600 Tamara took that hit and dropped down to 7400 Kevin's at $5,000. She wagers 3000 Gets the clue. These lands are ours. No one has a right to remove us because we were the first owners, said this Shawnee rival of William Henry Harrison. And she gets it correct right with who is Tecumseh.
1: At the end of the double Jeopardy round, Nicole is in a lock position with 16,800. Tamara is at 7,800. Kevin's at 7,000. The final Jeopardy category is chemical names. And the clue is the name of this pungent gaseous compound is ultimately derived from the top god of the ancient Egyptians. I would have never guessed. Even Me though, Yeah. Kevin Kevin got it right. What is ammonia from a- Ammon? Ammon. What, uh, however you say uh, it. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah, there we go. That's another one where, like, I don't know. I, mm, the pronunciation doesn't stick with me. Yeah, so ammonia apparently comes from the In- Egyptian oh, god. Yeah.
0: I wish there was explanation. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Did he do yeah. a lot of cleaning? <laughs> I don't get it. Anyway.
1: Anyway, Kevin's wagered 801, which puts, puts him at 7801, just above tomorrow. Tamara has guessed, what is ozone? That's not correct. And she's wagered 6,201, so that drops her down to 1,599. And Nicole tried what is radon, and Ken says, oh, for raw. Smart thinking, but, you know, not correct. But that's okay, because she was in a locked position, and she didn't wager anything. Mm -hmm. So she gets the win. That's
0: right. So on Tuesday, we get the contestants, Lisa Schricken, a lawyer from New York, New York. Mara Lasco, a fundraiser from Washington, D.C., and Nicole Rudolph, an associate dean from Williston Park, New York, whose one-day cash winnings total $16,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Geometrical Geography. That was hard to say. Fancified Beastly Idioms. Music Class with M in quotation marks. 80s Movie Comedies. Three Men and a Baby. And the Baby... Category was so cute. Yeah, little baby stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the thousand-dollar clue: this yellow discoloration of a newborn's skin and eyes is common in, in babies born before 38 weeks gestation. Lisa got it. That's jaundice. Doesn't have to be before 38 weeks because sometimes you have a child who is nearly two weeks overdue, mm-hmm. and then also and I, very jaundiced.
1: Oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Has mm-hmm. to be on the lights. I'm so sad. Yeah. So So cool with the lights, though. That's great that they can do the thing.
0: It is cool that they can do it. Because when I was born, I was jaundiced. And the doctors were like... I mean, it was in Phoenix. So it wasn't an issue to get sunlight. And they were like, Mm -hmm. well, he's just got to be outside in the sun. Yeah. So I was. Mm -hmm. Which is why I have such a swarthy complexion.
1: Mm. If you have a baby in New York City and you're doctor and you know prenatal yoga teacher and very lactation consultant and various other people I'll emphasize to you how important it is to get your baby some sun because they're not jaundiced but they're they're looking a little borderline and Mm -hmm. you know you want to take that in the right direction and so you take them out in the sun old ladies will just even if it's June say June 1st or thereabouts old ladies will just yell at you Got to yeah. cover that baby up. Yep. Got it. He'll get cold.
0: Oh, old, old, old ladies, and I found even young ladies and and men, people, mm-hmm. just people in general, yeah. will just like you have a baby. They're like, it's my responsibility to
1: tell you you're make, doing make it make you
0: wrong. Your <laughs> yeah.
1: Why are they like that?
0: I don't know. It's like, well, you know, it's it's right for me to be concerned about. It's like, cool, cool, thanks. Mm-hmm. It's not though.
1: Yeah. Like, no. Mm-mm. It's fine. Somebody like completely panicked that I did not have my baby wrapped in a blanket I'm like mm, mm, I guess you know best
0: yeah cool all right I'll get right on that yep thanks. public service announcement Just somebody else having a baby either on the outside or inside of them is not mm-hmm. permission to do anything yeah. at all
1: yeah if you are if you are truly concerned about abuse like report it to the correct authorities or whatever and yes. outside of that maybe maybe maybe. Just back off a tad. Yeah.
0: Let people be. Anyway, I really enjoyed the music category. Mm, yeah. Good on Lisa for knowing the $1,000 level. This Polish mm-hmm. dance music in triple time originated in the 16th century and uses heel tapping accents, which is a, a, a very nice way to describe how utterly messed up it sounds. <laughs> That's a mazurka, which the clue there is Polish. And if you know any Chopin music, you probably have heard the title mazurka. So hmm they- they're very difficult to count because the accent isn't in the right place for a three-quarter time.
1: Huh, okay. I knew the word mazurka, but i am that's about as far as it goes. Yeah. Daily Double number one is in the A Baby category at the $800 level, and Lisa finds it at pick number four. She has six hundred, uh, with Nicole at two hundred and Mara at four hundred, and she wagers a thousand, maximum possible, since she's under that. And she gets the clue: the Apgar score is a five-part test of appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, and this function. She tries what is speech, but it is an acronym, or, or more properly, a backronym. Okay. Respiration is what we're looking for. Bacronym is what you call that, right? When it Gets named and then you, and then you like create the, what everything stands for based on the name that's already been given. Yeah. Yes, um, so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the APGAR score was created by Virginia APGAR, but there are five things that are being assessed and
0: they just happened to APGAR has
1: five letters. And so you can match them up.
0: Math, and not, um, nice.
1: yeah, it works. So at the end of the jeopardy round, Nicole is in the lead with 5,800, Mara's at 3,400, Lisa is at 2,800, and the Double Jeopardy categories are When in Rome, Writers of the Cloth, Tough, Tough Guy TV, Words from Greek and Latin, World History, and Before and After Female Duos.
0: Real quick, I want to shout out Lori Lander Goodman for that Apgar, because in our game, she got that correct. Yeah. In the in the first 15 clues where like she was the only one to get any of them right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was that very was impressive. New. It was one of those. It was one of those clues that yeah. one I knew, but she got in before me mm-hmm. plenty of the others. I could not, I could not do. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. On to double jeopardy.
1: Tough, tough guy. TV was in fact tough and mm-hmm. not to gender stereotype, but we did, we had three female contestants on stage, which, you know, doesn't happen super often.
0: Mm-hmm, that's true. Um,
1: yeah. So I think women can like tough guy TV, but, but it tends
0: to be marketed more toward men. It tends to be
1: marketed toward men. Yes, let's let, that's let's put it that way. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I think I think this was not in anybody's wheelhouse who was competing on this day. It that way. Yeah. <laughs> the sixteen hundred dollar I, w- I went for the same incorrect guess as Lisa. Tough on the streets of Austin, tender with his boyfriend, Officer Carlos Reyes is it on this show with an emergency number in its title. And Lisa I'll honed in on emergency number and tried what is Reno 911, but 911 Lone Star is what they were looking for. Yes. Yeah. Classic. Mm-hmm. Reno 911. I expected to have more of an edge in Writers of the Cloth than I did.
0: Hmm.
1: The contestants did pretty well with it. So, they only missed the $2,000 level. An influential writer on spiritual themes, Thomas Merton was a member of this order known for emphasizing silence and austerity. Mara tried, who are the Franciscans? I do not think of the Franciscans as emphasizing silence and austerity, but you know, if you're trying to they're notoriously loud
0: Franciscans,
1: <laughs> they're, they're, I don't know. I feel like they're, they're
0: the party animals. of the Yeah. Orders, like, <laughs> for sure. For sure. I,
1: I, I think maybe you're being sarcastic, but you're not entirely off base. Anyway, the Trappists are what we were looking for. I, I didn't know that about the Trappists. I just know that they make the jam. Do you, have, <laughs> do you have Trappist jam where you are? Or is that like regional?
0: I don't know that I've ever heard of Trappist jam.
1: Huh. Yeah. I'm Googling it now. Trappist preserves. Oh, manufactured at Trappist monastery in Massachusetts. And they I think that they sell them in New York where I am now. But I'm not surprised if they if they don't distribute
0: all the way out here the way. across the Mississippi.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That may that may be regional. I don't know. If you're if you're on if you're on Twitter and you want to tell us whether they sell Trappist Jam where you are, we can yeah. we can find out that way.
0: Right. Sound off for Trappist Jam. Yeah. Okay. Well I guess I'll have to try that sometime. Yeah. Daily double number two is pick number eight in the round. It's in the words from Greek and Latin category, the $1,200 level. Nicole locates it. She is at $8,200. Mara's at $3,400. Lisa's at $2,800. She wages $3,000. Gets a clue, a letter that the Pope sends around. It's from the Greek for circle. And she does not have a guess. That is an encyclical
1: yeah, papal encyclicals and daily double number three is the sixteen hundred dollar level of when in Rome and Elisa finds this one. She's at forty four hundred at this point. Nicole is at ninety six hundred. Mara's at forty six hundred. So Nicole wagers eighteen hundred and gets the clue: explore these underground passages that were used as ancient cemeteries, and she gets it corrected as catacombs. Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh so at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Nicole's at ninety-six hundred, Mars at forty two hundred, and Lisa's at fifty-four hundred. This is a this is a, a, a tough double Jeopardy. Really knocked him mm-hmm. down. We got the final Jeopardy category, Transportation USA, and the clue, this public agency runs the USA's busiest bus terminal. Opened in nineteen fifty for commuters awed by its polished steel and stone. <laughs> That's funny to people from New York. That means nothing. To me, <laughs> I was like, I... <laughs> cool, something with modern architecture in 1950. Great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, mean, I think the question here is what is the nothing. bus terminal? Right. Well, I, yeah. I,
0: it, this, it doesn't
1: even say New York. It doesn't no. say New York. You have to infer. Yeah. TSA's
0: busiest bus terminal that I mean, sure. Two of them got it correct, though. Amara wrote, what is Port Authority? Mm-hmm. In Midtown Manhattan, apparently.
1: Yeah,
0: And wagered 4000 Lisa, also a New Yorker, got it correct with what is Port Authority, and then wrote, please clap. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Lisa. I yes. enjoyed her time. She was yes. so entertaining. And wagered 4201 But Nicole missed it with what is the MTA. Uh-huh. And wagered 1201 Which... I mean... Which Lisa bet enough to get ahead of Nicole's number anyway. 1201 would have been a cover bet. Yeah, 1201 was a cover bet. So so she drops down, and that means Lisa wins.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I scoffed because when, when I have to be in the Port Authority, the polished steel and stone are not really what get my attention. And it's <laughs> more... Poor ventilation and the sense of being deep underground. With a, I mean, you're not actually deep underground in a lot of it, but like somehow, somehow, there's so little natural light and like so, like, ugh, like mm-hmm. it, it's just really stinky in there. <laughs> and, it's just really stinky. And and I don't know, like there's a sense of there's a sense of hopelessness that pervades <laughs> the port authority. I, mm,
0: As any good travel terminal, ought yeah, to, you,
1: know? you have. Uh, like i don't know i feel like there are some of them that like i don't know like there are there are windows and things you feel like you'll see the sun again in your life
0: windows and stuff yeah yeah that's fair i don't i mean yeah i don't know yeah. i don't i don't frequent public transportation hubs all that much yeah here. i
1: spent i spent a fair amount of time at the board, port authority in my day um in your day yeah yeah, I've polished steel and stone. Yes, that's that's the notable thing. I mean,
0: it was in 1950, I guess. Yeah,
1: I guess. All right. Well, Wednesday, March 29th, the contestants are Iris Masucci, a pharmacist from Rockville, Maryland. Jordan Davis, a private music teacher and choir director from Draper, Utah. And Lisa Shriekin, a lawyer from New York, New York, whose one-day cash winnings totaled 9,601. And the Jeopardy round categories are European national nicknames, writers and poets, common bonds, a real long shot a disaster aria and peas out (laughs) like the letter P. I love a common bonds category. Yes, you do. Pencil walrus handlebar. It's a mustache. Blush, baby coral. Those are pinks. They are shades of pink. pink. Yeah.
0: They got tricky there in the $600 level though. Royals, guardians, pirates, the Royals and the pirates have been around for a long time. The Guardians, that's a that's a two-year-old name now?
1: Mm. One-year-old
0: name? Mm, yeah. Used to be the Cleveland Indians. Uh, Very recently changed to the Cleveland Guardians. Good for them. Apparently, there are giant statues in Cleveland called the Guardians, and that's what they're named after. Okay. Giant Art Deco statues. Cool. That watch over the interstate? I don't know. Seems uh,
1: like a non-offensive thing to name a baseball team after, which...
0: Yeah, yeah not like pirates. Come on. Pirates (laughs) do better.
1: (laughs) Do you have any commentary on the disaster arias?
0: Well, I feel like it was a bit of a stretch for the thousand dollar clue, meaning none shall sleep. This aria from Turandot carries an explicit threat of execution. It's like, okay, it's a threat. It's not, I mean, a threat isn't a disaster, but it is the greatest aria in the history of opera. That is Nessun Dorma. Lisa Mm -hmm. got that. She seems to know her classical music. Yeah. So, but yes, it is my favorite Aria. I'm going to see that show on May 6th. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah.
1: Daily double number one is pick number two in European national nicknames at the $800 level. And Lisa finds it. She's at a thousand with everybody else at zero because she's answered one $1,000 question. And she wagers a thousand true daily double. And gets the clue, Hungarians know their country not as the land of the Huns, but as the land of this nomadic people who settled there in the ninth century. And she says, who are the Magyars? And then tries again with Magyars. Either is correct. So she's correct twice, so they have to...
0: Give her double the money. Yeah,
1: (laughs) no, she she gets her 1,000.
0: So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Lisa is at 5,400, Jordan is at 4,000, Iris is at 6,200, and we get the double Jeopardy categories science initials and acronyms, Dali goes Hollywood, (laughs) tree named places, synonyms, planes, trains, and autocrats.
1: I learned from your deep dive on Salvador Dali about. I'm not sure I learned any of these things specifically, Mm -hmm. but I think without your deep dive, I would have had no idea that there was a connection to Hollywood at all, like that he Mm. worked on films. I don't think I would have had any idea. Maybe that was a blind spot for me. Maybe other people, maybe, maybe maybe that's well known. I don't know, but I enjoyed the category. And also I felt like your deep dive had me oriented from a while back.
0: Yeah. yeah, I don't know I really don't know that I mentioned any of these except maybe spellbound. Yeah. The, the Hitchcock film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's nice to have a context for it.
1: Mhm. The $800 level of synonyms syn- cinnamons, the synonyms. synonyms mm-hmm. homily is another word for one of these religious speeches delivered from the pulpit to a congregation. Iris got that one. It's a sermon. I would say <clears throat> I use homily if I'm going to talk for less than eight minutes, and a sermon if I'm talking for like kind of ten plus, not nine. I'm not sure, right? But like, I
0: was going to say, then what? What's that in between?
1: Yeah, huh? no man's land. Yeah. A, it's it never a nice, happens. it's a nice little talk, which is what somebody refers to my sermon as if they do not believe in women preachers. Um, yeah yeah I've heard uh, that plenty of times I bet mm-hmm. I I have mm, yeah I the first few times I was like you know I was like what are they doing and I mean sometimes sometimes it is entirely well intentioned it is not meant to convey anything in particular or to conceal you know a difference of opinion but some sometimes it's it's because the person has like a, a philosophical objection to referring to anything that I could say as a sermon
0: mm-hmm. Um, classic yeah. mm-hmm
1: But I don't know. Sermon and homily are close enough to synonyms for Jeopardy, but I think how those are used by preachers or congregations might might not be exactly identical. Yeah. That's fair. Oh, the $1,600 level of planes, trains, the largest wooden plane ever built. The Howard Hughes project with this rhyming name was actually mostly birch. And Lisa tried, what is the spruce, the spruce moose? moose? <laughs> Every time that Lisa got a clue incorrect, she made a great face. Yes. Like the, the, the cringes were very dramatic. Yes. Um, and yeah. gosh,
0: the Simpsons. Ruining all of my potential knowledge, you know? Mm hmm. We'll take mm-hmm. the spruce moose. Sure, <laughs> that's a. I didn't. I, I said didn't. hop in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the spruce goose is the Howard Hughes aircraft. Jordan got the rebound. Yes. Yeah.
0: Although he didn't call it, Howard Hughes didn't call it the spruce goose. Other people called it the spruce goose. Mm hmm. So I don't know how, I mean, I guess, I guess.
1: Daily Double Two is at the $1,600 level of synonyms. Iris finds it at pick number nine. She's at 9,000 in the lead with Lisa at 7,400 and Jordan at 6,000. She wagers 3,000 and she gets the clue. In opera, diva is a synonym for this two word Italian term. And it takes her a second, but she gets there prima donna. And Ken made note of her dance background, maybe helping her out a little bit. Potentially, yeah, yeah, could be.
0: And daily double number three is pick number twenty-seven. It's at the eight hundred dollar level of tree named places. Lisa locates it. She's up to seventeen thousand four hundred. Jordan is at four thousand, but Iris is at fifteen thousand six hundred. This is a, a high scoring game here. She and Lisa wagers 6,000 gets the clue. This town in the Mojave desert is named for a plant that early settlers said reminded them of a biblical guy. And she gets it correct with what is Joshua tree.
1: Mm -hmm. So at the end of double jeopardy, Lisa's at 21,400 Jordan's at 5,200. Iris is at 17,200. The final jeopardy category is American authors. And the clue is in a periodical in 1807, he called New York city, Gotham, Gotham, most enlightened of cities. Very New York-centric in these clues. uh, This was a triple stumper. Jordan tried who is Thomas Paine. Well, it's not a bad guess, but not the right one. He's wagered 5,000. That dropped him down to 200. Iris tried who is Harper. I think that's a fine guess also. With an $8,200 wager, that drops her to 9,000. And Lisa wrote, Who is Goodbye, Cruel World? Uh, <laughs> wagered 4,201 and won anyway with 17,199, which was a funny moment. Um, yes. So that gives her her second win.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, the correct response here is Washington Irving, New York writer. Maybe Maybe you associate Washington Irving more with the Hudson Valley, but... Yeah,
0: yeah. I think New York and that early
1: hmm. There wasn't Shouldn't.
0: there weren't really other names that came to mind.
1: Yeah. So but hey, Lisa lives to fight another day.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. So on Thursday, we have the contestants Sharon Stone, not the actress. <laughs> a manager from Round Rock, Texas. Jacob Lang, an e-commerce specialist from Cleveland, Ohio. And Lisa Shriekin, a lawyer from New York, New York. Student cash winnings is now twenty six thousand eight hundred dollars. And we have the Jeopardy round category spousal support. Five consonants in a row, state motto translations, celebrity memoirs, assault, and a deadly weapon.
1: Mm-hmm. And Lisa sort of hit the, the Thursday game curse. Seems uh, like it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if people still talk about that. I remember encountering the idea that Thursday is like the rough game. If you're, a ret- especially if you're a returning champion with like, a couple or more wins under your belt. They take the lunch break after the Wednesday game. And like, it's easy to like get fatigued and sort of like lose your, lose your rhythm, Mm -hmm. you know, just not be, not be playing at your peak anymore after making it through a couple of games and then a lunch break. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Lisa went into and out of the hole a couple of times in the Jeopardy round and, uh uh, And we can get to double jeopardy when we get to double jeopardy.
0: But, yeah. 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 She had some, she had some rough guesses and misses.
1: Mm-hmm. Spousal support at the $800 level nominated to become transportation secretary in 2017. Elaine Chao got yeses from 93 senators, but not from this majority leader, her husband. Now.
0: Wouldn't that be the I, opposite of spousal support?
1: I am. It is the opposite. I am, I am not here to, I, I am as shocked as anyone to find myself like defending Mitch McConnell. Well, but that's going like, to be I our like,
0: show everybody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I feel like the framing presents it as if, I mean, C- Ken clarified. So Lisa rang in and said, who is McConnell? And that's correct. And Ken clarified that Mitch voted present. He didn't vote against her. He just didn't vote for her. And like, I feel like the whole framing presents it as if he had some objection. And in fact, like, you know, like from a kind of procedural point of view, Right, like a public vote on one spouse, like
0: it would make sense that you is, would recuse yourself. Yeah, from it's, that.
1: it is proper to recuse oneself, right? And so, like, yeah, I just feel I feel like the writing was a little, a little deceptive. It's, yeah,
0: that's fine. <laughs> the two hundred dollar level of a deadly weapon, I thought was, I realized it's only a two hundred dollar clue, probably not affecting the outcome of the game. It did not, but. The clue was Cornelius Nepos could have pitched a Samuel Jackson film. These on a boat, writing of Hannibal heaving them onto enemy ships, and Jacob rang in and get said, "What is snakes on a plane?" And Ken ruled that correct. Yeah, not really. It's it's yeah, snakes on a plane on a boat is not correct.
1: <laughs> like, it's not. It's not learned league. In learned league, if you. If the beginning of your answer is correct, and then there's more stuff past that, like it just is disregarded, right? Right? Like, Right? Like, you yeah. know, anything past the correct answer is considered superfluous and is ignored, right? And so, snakes on a plane would be accepted because it starts with snakes, which is what they're looking for. But yeah, no, not not really, not really. Snakes on a plane, just snakes, just snakes. That's nightmare f- nightmare fuel, though.
0: Snakes on a plane, or snakes uh, on a boat?
1: No, the idea of being in a naval battle and then the enemy is like just catapulting snakes. snakes. Right, like there are certain things that you feel like you've signed up for, like the possibility of drowning or being shot, and then there's
0: this, and then there's just a, a rain of snakes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hannibal is the best. That's mm-hmm. you know, no way around
1: it. Mm-hmm. All right, daily double number number one is in spousal support at the thousand dollar level, and Lisa finds it at the seventeenth pick. She's at thirty eight hundred. Jacobs at two thousand. Sharon's at. 2,200. Lisa makes it a true daily double and she gets the clue though Ring Lardner called this duo the prince and princess of their generation their lives weren't exactly this side of paradise. She doesn't know what to do with that. She tries Adam and Eve. I think seeing, you know, paradise Scott and Zelda F- Fitzgerald. This side of paradise is an F Scott Fitzgerald novel. If you don't mm. know that, then this would be a very difficult yeah, clue no to the answer. Yeah. So that drops her to zero. And at the end of the jeopardy round, she's at 200 with Jacob at 4,000 and Sharon at 4,800. And the double jeopardy categories are the historic 1950s world place names, the greatest snowman or snowman, either way, a religious service. So many religion categories recently. E I O E I in quotation marks, and quoth the title.
0: The $1,200 of that quote, the title, we had a unfortunate misdirection. The clue is Philip Pullman quoted Milton, quote, unless the almighty maker make them ordain these to create more worlds. Lisa wrote it, rung in and said, what are men? Which I think led Jacob to guess what are children of men? Mm-hmm. I wonder if, if Lisa had not guessed that, if, if Jacob would have given it a shot. That's his Dark Materials. That's a, the name of that series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the golden compass.
1: Yeah, amber spyglass and the subtle knife. The subtle knife. Yes. Yeah. Oh, we had we had some misses in the religious service category. Actually, we had some of them got answered correctly eventually. But the eight hundred dollar level in a mosque, the service on this day of the week is usually the longest and includes the sermon. Elisa tried what Saturday, Friday. Friday is the Friday service is usually the kind of the major one in Muslim communities, Jewish communities, also, in my experience, Friday evening. More, there may also be services on Saturday during the day, but Friday evening tends to be the, the major one, in my experience. And the $1,200 level, everyone join in on Have Thine Own Way, Lord, composed by Adelaide A. Pollard in the book called The United Methodist This. Sharon tried what is hymn book. Sometimes we do call them hymn books, although they they cited a particular one so that there would be kind of an authoritative answer. Hymnal is the, the more common name for that kind of book, a book full of hymns, and the United Methodist one is a hymnal.
0: Yep. Yep. Daily double number two is in the EIO category at the $800 level. Pick number six. Sharon finds it. He's at sixty four hundred, Lisa is at negative eighteen hundred, Jacob's at twenty eight hundred, and she wagers two thousand. Gets the clue. A famous one on a kids' TV show debuted in nineteen sixty eight and included a scale model trolley. And she gets it correct with what is neighborhood.
1: Mm hmm. That's a good Mr. Rogers clue without ever actually actually referencing Mr. Rogers explicitly. Yeah. yeah. That was fun, and daily double number three is in world place names. It is pick number twelve. We get them both pretty early in the round at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Sharon finds it. She wagers four thousand of her ten thousand with Lisa at fourteen hundred and Jacob at twenty eight hundred, and she gets the clue. Legend says this sea is named for Theseus's father, who flung himself into the waters when he thought his son was dead. And Ken said, it "Sounded like she was guessing, but yeah. she got it right with the Aegean."
0: Yeah, she she had a has a couple of instances where. it She looks like she doesn't know and just takes a guess and it ends up being right, I think, in the Friday game, too. So, at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Lisa is in the red, so she is not in it for final. Jacob is at 7,600, and Sharon is in a lock position at Mm 18,000. Final Jeopardy category is brand names, and the clue, the success of this brand has its roots with a hydrotherapy pump its co-founder created for his son, who had arthritis. Ooh, that was a... It was a tough clue. Jacob mm-hmm. guessed what is water pick? That um, was also my guess. Good yeah, guess. It, it came to mind. I was like, yeah, that's a water pump. He wagered 7,000. That's incorrect. And Sharon guessed what is a leave? What, <laughs> whether, she, whether she was actually making the Jeopardy meme. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or genuinely just guessing if a leave was it. That is also incorrect. She wagered a thousand, which is fine. And uh, the correct answer is jacuzzi. Yeah. Apparently jacuzzi. Invented for that purpose.
1: Yeah, makes sense. I just mm-hmm. didn't think of it. Yeah, I mean, neither. And neither did the contestants. Yeah. So, Friday, March 31, the contestants are Jen Petro Roy, a writer from Chelmsford, Massachusetts, Brittany Shaw, a senior insurance writer from Juliet, Illinois, and Sharon Stone, still not the actress, a manager from Round Rock, Texas, whose one day cash winnings total 17,000. And the Jeopardy round categories are health and medicine, that or a golf thing. Vermont, songs from 60s musicals, Hey Big Spender, and Sweet Charity.
0: Yet another episode this week where all three contestants are appear to be women.
1: Yes, the $800 level of Hey Big Spender. If you're going to splurge for the Ferrari, get a GTO, the G&T, stand for this Italian phrase, also a video game. And <laughs> Jen goes for what we were all thinking, or at least what I was thinking, which is what is Grand Theft? Different GT. <laughs> yep, and Brittany gets the the rebound, Grand Turismo. Yes. Yeah,
0: Gran Turismo Four It's a great, great game. Mm. If you're willing to put in the time, to yeah, just uh, really get into a racing game. Mm.
1: Oh, the eight hundred dollar level of health and medicine a throwback to my vitamin C deep dive. Orange juice is an antiscorbutic, mm-hmm. is meaning it prevents this disease. And Jen gets it: scurvy, antiscorbutic yep. is just it. It's just Latin for anti-scurvy. You can even like see it there, like the the yep. scorbu is. Scurvy. Against,
0: against the scurve yep as well as we'll see that songs from the 60s musicals did did 60s musicals just want to have a lot of like words in the title like was that a Apparently. common thing or did they just happen to pick these or
1: just or just four numerals
0: yeah but still it <laughs> takes a long time to say 1776 yeah. right? it's true yeah that's true it's not a, a single syllable you know kind yeah. Of word yeah so we have the Daily Double in that category. It's pick number two. Sharon finds it because she got the first clue, which was the four hundred dollar clue of that category. So she has four thousand four hundred, the others just have zero, and she wagers a thousand. It's at the six hundred dollar level, and she gets a clue with a ten-word title, Comedy Tonight, and The House of Marcus Lycus. Those are those are song titles from A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which she got correct. Mm-hmm. And Ken noted that she's averaging nine words per response. Yeah. Because the first one was eight words and the second one was 10.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Sharon's at 6,200, Brittany's at negative 400, and Jenna's at 5,200. Double Jeopardy categories are, oh, the literary places you don't want to go. Politics, talk, last lines of movies, to the tower, ancient VIPs, and consecutive letter word pairs. For example, what is clear day would be CD. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that. I think caught Brittany off a little bit because the first pick of the round, the clue is an iron mask is the symbol of this oxymoronic band whose albums included metal health. And she guessed what are Roll- rolling stones, which is
1: fits the category.
0: It's the category. It's just not correct. Yeah. Apparently it's quiet riot.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. She also, a late in the round, tried the $400 term for a car or a person not requiring a lot of attention and pampering. She tried what is easy fixer, which I wonder did like, did she ring in thinking easy fixer or did she have some other phrase in mind? And then she was like, Oh, it doesn't fit the category and try and like real quick, make an adjustment. Anyway, Sharon got the rebound, low maintenance. I thought the last lines of movies category was good. Ranging from sort of, I feel like we all sort of knew what would be at the $400 level. Mm-hmm. It was Casablanca? It's classic. Yeah. yeah, 1942, Louis. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, right? Like I, there, there are only a few where, like, a few movies where the last line is 400 level worthy, right? It was going right. to be Casablanca or like maybe like I don't know, The Wizard of Oz or something, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Gone with the Wind. Yeah, One of those classic movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but then you know, through King Kong to Network to Boogie, nights, Boogie I nights I didn't know. No, I don't either. <laughs> yeah. But Jen did, you know, so and then the two thousand dollar level was a triple triple stumper. This dirty Harry sequel, whose title mentions Harry's Gun, a man's got to know his limitations. That is that's a that's a that's a deep cut, I guess. I think. I don't know. Yeah, Force. I think so no, Nobody yeah. tried it. Yeah. I don't know. It's 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 tough, tough guy. Mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> Daily Double number two is in Ancient VIPs at the $1,600 level and Brittany finds it at pick number 15. She's got 2400 with Sharon at 7800 and Jen at 6800 She wagers 2000 of that and gets the clue the Hanging Gardens was one of many building projects credited to this king of Babylon who also appears in the Book of Daniel. And she gets it correct. It's Nebuchadnezzar. She the, Her pronunciation was a little bit like threw me off a little bit, but you know, I guess she, yeah, was, yeah. she was on enough.
0: Yeah. It's, I mean, who knows? Who knows how Babylonians actually pronounce things? Yep. And Daily Double number three is in the politics talk at the $1,000 level. Sharon finds this one. She's at $9,400. Brittany's at 4400 Jen's at 5600 And she wagers 2500 Gets the clue. Senator Robert Byrd said the survival of our constitutional system is based on the delicate mechanism of this pair. And this is another time it looks like she's just kind of guessing and she throws out what is checks and balances, but that is mm-hmm. correct.
1: Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Sharon has gotten herself into a lock position with 15,500. Brittany's at 6,800 and Jen is at 6,400. And the final Jeopardy category is City History. And the contestants get the clue. Over 700 years after its traditional 1252 founding date, this port city became associated with a psychological response. Jen tried, what is Somalia? Not correct. She's wagered 500, dropping her down to 5,900. Brittany tried, what is Pavlova? I think, you know, thinking of like Pavlov, Pavlov, right? Yeah, I guess. And wagered 6,001. That's incorrect. And she's incorrect. So she drops down to 799. She'll finish in third place. And Sharon got it correct. What is Stockholm? Stockholm syndrome with an $1,100 wager. I was looking up something that I'd heard about Stockholm syndrome just the other day, like a couple oh. days before this aired. And it's worth looking into because. Stockholm syndrome may or may not be a thing, but like the origin story was this hostage situation where the hostages were not as grateful to the authorities as the authorities thought that they should have been, and it was maybe mm. because the authorities were not being as careful and cautious with their lives as they would have liked, which mm. is
0: An maybe understandable doesn't... <laughs> thing to be concerned <laughs> it's, about, right?
1: Yeah, they thought, you know, like there was there was this sense that, like, for, I mean, I haven't like. I don't have a deep dive on this. It wasn't a triple, triple stumper, right? But like there was this sense that it was like clumsily handled and they weren't very grateful that like their lives were needlessly risked a bunch of times, you know? And uh, Stockholm syndrome may very well be a thing, but I'm not sure that the original victims, like the the, the original like quote unquote Stockholm syndrome people mm-hmm. may not like that may not have had it per se. I don't know. Um, maybe I'll read more about it at some point. This was like a, it popped into my head to Google it when I was like, I don't know, standing in a line or something. I can't remember. And I was starting to read up on it and it was interesting. So
0: you're you're standing in a line and, Feeling like you needed to look up Stockholm Syndrome?
1: I, just, I, I, can't, I can't explain it. It <laughs> <laughs> happens. Yeah, just a just a glimpse into my brain. Anyway, so that's the week. So we'll be back with Sharon on Monday. And this is the break in the middle of the episode when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. There's a little bit of exclusive content on there. We try and put our quiz questions on after we record so that Patreon supporters can get a glimpse of those early before we get the episode edited and posted. And if you have a couple bucks a month that you would be willing to pledge to help us offset the costs of making the podcast, that would be most welcome. And thanks to those of you who are doing that. We really appreciate it. And um, of course, also more important things in the world, all of which are listed in the show notes. Some of which we really care about, especially, are listed in the show notes. So... I think that's that. Kyle, do you want to yeah. do you want to guess what the deep dive is about?
0: I do. Okay. Are we talking about Washington Irving? Yes. Yay! Wow on
1: the first one.
0: Yay! Uh, you, I mean it was a final jeopardy so
1: Yeah, cruising right past the Papal Encyclicals.
0: Oh, no. I, no. <laughs> I mean, you could go through and list every single papal encyclical. That would be. Yeah, that
1: would be that would be miserable.
0: No, my other guesses were the Fitzgerald's and I don't know, something else.
1: Yeah, there, there were some Oh, 101 Dalmatians.
0: No. Yeah, no, that one didn't even pop in. But there there were a lot of triple stoppers. There were, there were a lot there of were. good categories, but yeah, it was the final Jeopardy, so I had to start with
1: it. Yeah, well. It was a Final Jeopardy, so I also had to start with it. So let's talk about Washington Irving. Washington Irving was an American short story writer, essayist, biographer, historian, and diplomat. Surprise! Mm. He was a diplomat of the early 19th century. His parents were William Irving Sr., who was originally from Scotland, and Sarah... Irving Nay Saunders, originally of Cornwall, England. The Irving parents married in 1761 while William Irving Sr. was serving as a petty officer in the British Navy. They went on to settle in Manhattan where they had 11 children, 8 of whom survived to adulthood. And that wasn't detailed too much in what I was reading but I, but i saw the names and the and the names sort of tell a story right first mm-hmm. first there was william junior who died and then there was william junior who also died Oof. and then william junior their third child survived and then their fourth child john died and then and then after that the rest of the children survived so children 5 through 11 all survive with washington irving being the 11th and youngest, born on April 3rd, 1783, the same week that New York City residents learned of the British ceasefire, which ended the American Revolution. And so in honor of that, I guess Irving's mother named him after George Washington. Yeah. Irving met his namesake at age six when George Washington was living in New York after his inauguration as president in 1789. The president gave young Irving a blessing and as an adult, Washington Irving had a watercolor painting made of that event, which continues to hang in his home. Wow. Yeah. Uh, his father and brothers were merchants, part of you know, the New York merchant class. Uh, young Washington Irving was a middling and not especially interested student who would often play hooky to attend the theater. In 1798, an outbreak of yellow fever in Manhattan motivated his family to send him up the river, you know, to the country, to you know, less less crowded, away from that outbreak. Where he stayed with his friend James Kirk Paulding in Terrytown, New York. It was in Terrytown that he became familiar with the nearby town of Sleepy Hollow, New York. He had other travels along the Hudson in his young years as well, including to the Catskills, where Rip Van Winkle was set. He began writing letters to the New York Morning Chronicle in 1802 when he was 19, submitting commentaries on the city's social and theater scene under the pseudonym Jonathan Oldstyle. It was the first of many pseudonyms that he employed throughout his career. This series of letters was, you know, popular and successful. It started to bring him some fame. There were concerns about his health, and so his brothers financed an extended tour of Europe from 1804 to 1806 for him. He bypassed most of the sites and locations that were considered essential for the social development of a young man. His brother William was not pleased about it, and instead he focused on honing his social skills and becoming a a popular guest in society. He returned from Europe to study law with his legal mentor, Judge Josiah Ogden Hoffman, in New York City. He was, by his own admission, not a very good student. He barely passed the bar examination, but he passed in 1806. He began socializing with a group of young literary gentlemen whom he dubbed the Lads of Kilkenny. I'm not really sure why. And uh, created a literary magazine called Salmagundi in January 1807 with his brother William and his friend. that I mentioned a minute ago, James Kirk Paulding, writing under various pseudonyms, again, such as William Wizard and Launcelot Langstaff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Salma Gundy was a moderate success. He became known beyond New York and it was in Salman Gundy that he gave New York City the nickname Gotham, first, uh, in its, first appearing in its 17th issue. And uh, I think that that is the source of the quote that Jeopardy referenced in that final Jeopardy clue. He wrote a volume called A History of New York from the Beginning of the World to the End of the Dutch Dynasty under the pseudonym Diedrich Knickerbocker. It sounds very serious, but the story behind it, I I did not realize. So before its publication, Irving started a hoax by placing a series of missing person advertisements in New York newspapers seeking information on Diedrich Knickerbocker, you know, a crusty Dutch historian who had allegedly gone missing from his hotel in New York City. He placed a notice from the hotel's proprietor, so, you know supposed proprietor informing readers that if mr Knickerbocker failed to return to the hotel to pay his bill he would publish a manuscript that Knickerbocker had left behind and it sounds like a very stuffy book it was apparently a satire on self-important local history and contemporary politics mm. uh, so unsuspecting readers followed the story of Knickerbocker this missing person and his manuscript that the Hotel owner was threatening to publish with interest. Some New York City officials were concerned enough about the missing historian to offer a reward for his safe return. Mm. And, then, uh, and then Irving published A History of New York on December 6, 1809, under the Knickerbocker pseudonym. And it was an immediate critical and popular success. The, the name Diedrich Knickerbocker is the source for Knickerbocker being a nickname for. Manhattanites or New Yorkers. Mm. After the success of A History of New York, Irving searched for a job and eventually became the editor of Analectic Magazine, where he wrote biographies of naval heroes such as James Lawrence and Oliver Hazard Perry. He also reprinted Francis Scott Key's poem Defense of Fort McHenry, which became the Star Spangled Banner. He enlisted to fight in the War of 1812, but did not see you know, combat per se. The war was disastrous for many American merchants, including Washington Irving's family. And in 1815 he left for England to salvage the family trading company. He remained in Europe for the next 17 years of his life. Um somewhere back a little bit earlier in this biography, there was he had an engagement and his his fiancee died. So still single at, the, at this point having having had that tragedy. Irving spent the next two years after relocating to England trying to bail out the family firm financially but eventually had to declare bankrupt- bankruptcy. With no job prospects, he continued writing throughout 1817 and 1818. During that period, he also visited Walter Scott, the author, and began a lifelong personal and professional friendship. In 1819, Irving sent to his brother Ebenezer in New York a set of short prose pieces that he asked to be published as the sketchbook of Jeffrey Cran, gent gen- period. The first installment containing Rip Van Winkle was an enormous success, and the rest of the work would be equally successful. It was issued in 1819 and 1820 in seven installments in New York. And two volumes in London. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow would appear in the sixth issue of the New York edition, the second volume of the London. Like many successful authors of this era, Irving struggled with literary bootleggers. In England, some of his sketches were reprinted in periodicals without his permission, which was entirely legal. There was no international copyright law forbidding that. If it hadn't been published in England, it was not protected in England. So, to prevent further piracy in Britain, Irving paid to have the first four American installments published as a single volume by John Miller in London. Subsequently he found a, like a more reputable publisher who, you know, paid him, but he needed to, you know, get it get it published one way or another quickly to head off further. Bootlegging issues. Mm-hmm. His reputation soared, and for the next two years, he had an active so- social life in Paris and Great Britain. He spent much of 1821 traveling in Europe, searching for a new material, reading widely in Dutch and German folk tales. He was dealing with writer's block and was impacted by the death of his brother William, and so that slowed his work down. But finally, he delivered a completed manuscript to his his british publisher in march 1822 the book bracebridge hall or the humorists a medley was published in june of 1822 the format of bracebridge was similar to that of the sketchbook with irving writing as jeffrey crayon narrating a series of more than 50 loosely connected short stories and essays he traveled to germany settling in dresden in the winter of 1822 where he met I don't know, some royals, and then attached himself to Amelia Foster, an American living in Dresden with her five children. And he was particularly enamored with her 18-year-old daughter, Emily, and tried to court her, but she refused his offer of marriage in the spring Hmm. of 1823. He was, gosh, how old was he at that point? What, like 40? She was 18? Yeah, good for her. Yeah. He returned to Paris and began collaborating with playwright John Howard Payne on translations of French plays for the English stage uh, with not much success. He also learned through Payne that Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley was romantically interested in him, but he did not pursue the relationship. His hmm. loss, I think. Yeah, um, really. Because she's pretty boss. In eight, August of 1824, he published the collection of essays, Tales of a Traveler, including the short story The Devil and Tom Walker, under his Jeffrey Crayon persona. The book sold respectively respectably but was panned by critics while in Paris he received a letter from Alexander Hill Everett on January 30 1826 Everett, who was had been re- recently been made the American minister to Spain like ambassador basically in in modern parlance, urged Irving to join him in Madrid. Noting that a number of manuscripts dealing with the Spanish conquest of the Americas had recently been made public. Irving left for Madrid and enthusiastically began scouring the Spanish archives for source material. He began working on several books at once. The first to be published was A History of the Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus, which was published in January 1828. The book was popular in the United States and in Europe and would have 175 editions published before the end of the century. Uh, It was the first project that Irving published under his own name, instead of under a pseudonym. Chronicle of the Conquest of Granada was published a year later, followed by Voyages and Discoveries of the Companions of Columbus in 1831. Irving's writings about Columbus are a mixture of history and fiction. Uh, We call that genre uh, romantic history now, or... I, I I learned that term for this for this deep dive. So, mm. um, that but that's what that's called. Now, Irving did extensive research in the Spanish archives, but then also added imaginative elements to kind of develop the narrative and improve its you know kind of quality as a story. So, a history of the life and voyages of Christopher Columbus is the source of the misconception that medieval Europeans believed the Earth was flat. Mm. That was. Washington Irving introduced that in that book and he was his writing was very popular and it caught on and it has never quite been fully shaken, I think. Really? Yeah. In 1829, he was elected to the American Philosophical Society. That same year, he moved into Granada's ancient palace, Alhambra, with the intention of writing about it. But before he could get any significant writing underway, he was notified of his appointment as secretary to the American legation in London. Hmm. Um, So he was worried he would disappoint friends and family if he refused. So he left Alhambra and and went to England in July of 1829. He joined the staff of American Minister Louis McLean, taking an aide-de-camp role, and the two worked over the next year to negotiate a trade agreement between the United States and the British West Indies, finally reaching a deal in August 1830. That same year, he was awarded a medal by the Royal Society of Literature, and in 1831, an honorary doctorate of civil law from Oxford. McLean was recalled to the United States in 1831 to serve as Secretary of the Treasury, and Irving stayed on as the legations charge affairs until the arrival of Martin Van Buren, President Andrew Jackson's nominee for British min- minister, although his appointment was actually not confirmed. Hmm. yeah, Irving resigned his post to concentrate on writing. I think when he thought that Martin Van Buren was you know like stepping into the role I I don't know Uh, yeah anyway Irving resigned his post to concentrate on writing and eventually completed Tales of the Alhambra which would be published in the US and England in 1832 He returned to New York on May 21, 1832, after 17 years abroad, and then undertook some travels in the West, accompanying Commissioner on Indian Affairs Henry Lovett Ellsworth on a surveying mission, traveling deep into Indian Territory, what is now Oklahoma, and then wrote a series of books, which are called his Western books, based in part on those travels. uh, A tour on the prairies uh, related his recent travels on the frontier. In 1834, he was approached by fur magnate John Jacob Astor, who convinced him to write a history of his fur trading colony in Astoria, Oregon. So he wrote Astoria and published it in February 1836. And uh, during an extended stay at Astor's home, Irving met explorer Benjamin Bonneville and was intrigued with his maps and stories of the territories beyond the Rocky Mountains. Bonneville met with him in Washington, D.C. some months later and sold his maps and rough notes to Irving for $1,000, which Irving used as the source material for his 1837 book, The Adventures of Captain Bonneville. He also... Worked with Astor to found the St. Nicholas Society in the city of New York, which is an organization which still exists focused on preserving like the history and customs of like Dutch New York. In 1835, Irving purchased a neglected cottage and its surrounding riverfront property in Terrytown, New York. He named the property Sunnyside. In 1841, it required a lot of work and he worked on it over the next 20 years with costs continually escalating to help fund his his home renovation work. He agreed to become a regular contributor to the Knickerbocker magazine, writing new essays and short stories under the Knickerbocker and Crayon pseudonyms. He was regularly approached by aspiring young authors for advi- advice or endorsement, including Edgar Allan Poe, who sought his comments on the fall of the House of Usher. He was a champion of the nascent... American literary tradition advocating stronger copyright laws to protect writers from the kind of piracy that he had experienced early in his career. And uh, he endorsed copyright legislation in a January 1840 issue of Knickerbocker legislation that was pending in Congress. He began a correspondence with Charles Dickens and hosted Dickens and his wife at Sunnyside during Dickens's American tour in 1842. He was appointed as minister to Spain in February 1842 by President John Tyler after an endorsement from Secretary of State Daniel Webster. Spain was in a state of political upheaval during most of his tenure with warring factions vying for control of the 12-year-old Queen Isabella II, reflecting on that he wrote, "I am wearied and at times heartsick" of the wretched politics of this country, this country being Spain, the last 10 or 12 years of my life passed among sordid speculators in the United States and political adventurers in Spain has shown me so much of the dark side of human nature that I begin to have painful doubts of my fellow man and look back with regret to the confiding period of my literary career when poor as a rat, but rich in dreams I beheld the world through the medium of my imagination and was apt to believe men as good as I wished them to be. Mm -hmm. He returned from Spain in September, 1846 took up residence in Sunnyside and began work on an author's revised edition of his works for publisher, George Palmer Putnam. For its publication, Irving had made a deal which guaranteed him 12% of the retail price of all copies sold, an agreement that was at the time unprecedented. He continued to write regularly. He published biographies of Oliver Goldsmith in 1849, the Islamic prophet Muhammad in 1850, In 1855, he he produced Wolfert's Roost, a collection of stories and essays that he had written for the Knickerbocker and other publications. And he began publishing a biography of his namesake, George Washington, which he expected would be his Mm. masterpiece. Uh, Published the biography in five volumes between 1855 and 1859. He traveled regularly to Mount Vernon and Washington, D.C. for his research. He struck up friendships with Presidents Millard Fillmore and Franklin Pierce. He was elected an Associate Fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 1855. He was hired as an executor of John Jacob Astor's estate in 1848 and appointed by Astor's will as first chairman of the Astor Library, which was a forerunner to the New York Public Library. He continued to socialize and keep up with his correspondence well into his 70s and continued to be... Famous and popular and influential. By 1859, author Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. noted that Sunnyside had become next to Mount Vernon, the best known and most cherished of all the dwellings in our land. He died of a heart attack in his bedroom at Sunnyside on November 28, 1859, at the age of 76, eight months after completing the final volume of his George Washington biography. He was buried under a simple headstone at Sleepy Hollow Cemetery on December 1, 1859. He is widely considered the first American man of letters, one of the first to earn his living solely by his pen, the first American writer to set his stories firmly in the United States, although he poached from German and Dutch folklore. He's considered one of the first to write in the vernacular and without an obligation to presenting morals or being didactic in his short stories, writing to entertain rather than to enlighten. He popularized the name Gotham, the nickname Gotham for New York City, Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned, and is credited with inventing the expression, the almighty dollar as well. Mm. Um, And I had not realized this. He played a central role in shaping the way that American culture celebrates Christmas. In his 1812 Revisions to a History of New York, he inserted a dream sequence featuring St. Nicholas soaring over treetops in a flying wagon, which likely is part of kind of the evolution of the figure of Santa Claus. And in his Christmas stories in the sketchbook, there were five Christmas stories representing kind of old-fashioned Christmas customs at a quaint English manor, which contributed to the revival and reinterpretation of Christmas celebrations in the U.S., the village of Deerman, New York, changed its name to Irvington in 1854 to honor Washington Irving, who was living in nearby Sunnyside, which now is preserved as a museum. Irvington, the, the Irvington that's a couple miles from me, is not the only Irvington. It's not the only town with a name that recognizes Washington Irving. The town of Knickerbocker, Texas, was founded by two of Irving's nephews, who named it in honor of their uncle's literary pseudonym. Irving, Texas is also named for Washington Irving. Irvington, New Jersey is another one. And then in Tennessee, there is Irving College as well. So that's Washington wow. Irving. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, you know, every time I find a topic where I'm like, mm, this will be this will be manageable. This person pretty much just wrote the two stories. Nope. Yep. Yeah. Nope. Nope. There's always,
0: There's always more.
1: There's always more. There's always more. So that's Washington Irving. You ready for, for a quiz? quiz? Yeah. You ready for yeah. a quiz? All right. Yeah. All right. So this one doesn't particularly have a theme beyond Washington Irving, but it'll all connect into things we've talked about one way or another. So question one, Irving's first literary efforts, the letters of Jonathan Oldstyle, were published in the New York Morning Chronicle, a publication partially owned by what politician, lawyer, and notorious duelist? This person was struck by the letters and sent clippings of several to his daughter Theodosia.
0: Uh, I believe that is Aaron Burr.
1: It is Aaron Burr. Yeah, he, he sent clippings of these letters to Theodosia with a note saying that they they would not perhaps merit so high an honor as that of being perused by your eyes and touched by your fair hands, but that they are the production of a youth of about 19, the youngest brother of Dr. Peter Irving of New York. So he made he made a big impression on Aaron Burr, although, you know. I Great. guess his writing was not, didn't merit being touched by her hands.
0: You stellar endorsement there.
1: Yeah. All right. You got the, you got the topic, right? So you're at 20 points. Question two, a term that due to Washington Irving's influence came to refer to people from Manhattan was adopted in shortened form for what organization, which over the years has included Walt Frazier, Patrick Ewing, and Charles Oakley?
0: Oh, well, it's, I mean, you're talking about the Knicks. I am. Yeah, right? I'm talking about yeah. the Knicks.
1: Yeah. I mean, I couldn't not mention Knickerbocker in the deep dive. So I tried to I tried to obscure it a little bit. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, mm-hmm. the Knicks. Yeah. I don't know how unpacked about that one. But yeah.
0: In fact, is the Knicks have always been terrible.
1: <laughs> hey, I, I, <laughs> I have no idea whether they're good or not. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I am. Um, mm. um You're at 30 points. Question three. Rip Van Winkle has been adapted numerous times, but seldom in recent years. One adaptation in our lifetimes, however, took place on an episode of what literary PBS children's series where Rip Van Winkle was portrayed by the titular Jack Russell Terrier?
0: Literary PBS children's series?
1: Yes. Oh, do you not know about this?
0: Portrayed by a Jack Russell Terrier.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, no. Do you not know this show? Oh, ah, well,
0: I, hmm. I mean, is it is it like contemporary? Is it like right? No, now? Uh, no, no,
1: no, uh, no. 1995 to 1997.
0: <laughs> I mean, that would have been in the time that I watched things. I remember Ghostwriter.
1: If I say what's the story, does that get you anywhere?
0: Yes. Absolutely, it does. Oh, I was getting there anyway. Yes, because I thought of Ghostwriter, and then I'm like, "What else was on? What, what else was going on around then?" Is that Wishbone?
1: It is Wishbone. Wishbone. It's yes. Wishbone. Oof. I love Wishbone.
0: I never actually watched Wishbone.
1: Ah, uh, well.
0: I remember commercials for it though.
1: Wish Wishbone was great. I don't know how you can watch Wishbone these days. Is it on YouTube? I don't know. I'm gonna have to go look it up. Wishbo- Wishbone was delightful with all of its portrayals of like classic works of literature, <laughs> except the protagonist yep. is like the Jack Russell Terrier. Right. It's like, I think it's like kids and the Jack Russell Terrier is the pet. And then like somehow like there's like a frame story. And then all of a sudden we're in like Don Quixote or like mm-hmm. pride and prejudice or something.
0: It's just a dog.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Mm-hmm. It's a great show. Brilliant. 10 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Wishbone is awesome. Um. All right. You're at 40 points. And hey, this is, I was worried that I, I was going to obscure on some of these, but so far so good. But hey, you know, there's always the next few questions. Question four. Yeah. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was adapted into a 1999 Gothic supernatural horror film directed by Tim Burton, which starred Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci. It was not their first time on screen together. Both of them were in what 1998 film, which was directed by Terry Gilliam and based on a novel by Hunter S. Thompson?
0: Hunter s. Thompson. i always forget what his books are because i've never actually read anything by him
1: i have not um, read it and i have not seen the movie so but
0: the is that hunter s thompson i don't know the title that is coming to mind and i have no idea if it's correct is fear and loathing in las vegas That's correct. Oh, wow.
1: Nice. Ah,
0: Yes. I have maintained a picture in my brain with the right name on it.
1: Mm -hmm. That's trivia.
0: That is trivia. That's right.
1: (laughs) All right. You're at 50 points. You're crushing it. And question five, Irvington, New York has a Washington Irving Memorial with a bust of the author and reliefs based on some of his works. What sculptor more noted for the Lincoln Memorial and the Minuteman created... These these works in the Irving Memorial. One
0: hundred percent absolute pass. I have. I don't even know where to begin with
1: this. Uh, yeah, this is. I think this is a. You know it or you don't.
0: Wait, Smith.
1: All right, that's a that's a fair guess. Daniel Chester French. Oh,
0: so close. <laughs> All right. (laughs) There's no way. Not going to waste time trying to come up with that one. Yeah. Daniel Chester French. Daniel Chester French. Is it Chester hyphen French? No, it's it's a
1: three name, three name guy. He also created, let's see what, there were a few others on the list that that I recognize. The statue of John Harvard at Harvard is by Daniel Chester French as... Our alma mater on the campus of Columbia University. There were a few others here I recognized. Yeah, but I think the the Lincoln Memorial is the is the you know kind of the best mm-hmm. known of them. For sure. Um, yeah, he's a nineteenth century, late nineteenth century American sculptor. All right. Well, hey, you're at fifty points. And we'll call the final category, I can make anything about a theme park.
0: Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You know theme park's a lot better than I do.
1: Hmm. I'll go
0: 25.
1: All right. For 75 points, I can, I can connect anything to Disney World, but I think this one is fair. What Disney World attraction has an exterior designed to evoke the manor houses of the Hudson River Valley? A sort of nod to the legend of Sleepy Hollow. This attraction has inspired several films, including a 2003 one with Eddie Murphy, a 2021 movie with Muppets. I think that one was, you know, direct to streaming, and an upcoming film starring Rosario Dawson. Starring Rosario Dawson. I, mean, I can come up. I with mean, a hint if you need one.
0: I mean, if the only thing, the only thing I can think of, and now I'm not imagining it. What is it called? Okay. Well, okay. Is there another name for it? All I can think of is the Haunted Mansion. Is it and just the Haunted Mansion?
1: It is. Yes, it's just the Haunted Mansion. Okay.
0: Yeah. Ooh, yeah. all yes, right. Yes, Haunted
1: Mansion is correct. I think the the Disney World Haunted Mansion, like the exterior of the building, I think is called Gracie Manor or something like that. But yeah, Haunted Mansion is is what, what I was going for here. An opening day attraction at the Magic Kingdom. The various Haunted Mansions actually have different geographic stories. So this clue only applies to to the Disney World one because where they put the Haunted Mansion sort of dictates kind of what its backstory is. So the Disney World Haunted Mansion is in Liberty Square. And so they tied it into kind of early America by connecting it to Washington Irving and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. The Disneyland Mm -hmm. one is in the Disneyland one is is supposed to be in New Orleans. I think that's is that what do they do they call that? What do they call that part of Disneyland?
0: I don't remember. It's been a long
1: time. Yeah, I don't remember what they call it either. But yeah, the 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 Disneyland one is like a like the backstory is like New Orleans, and Tokyo Disney has a version as well. The kind of ghost imagery that we associate, like that that haunted mansion's haunted mansion uses Japanese culture, associates with like European fairy tales, and so. It's in the Fantasyland area, and it's kind of like a like a European kind of you know Grimm's fairy tales kind of kind of vibe. But yeah, Haunted Mansion in in Disney World is like Washington Irving Sleepy Hollow Sleepy Hollow inspired. Anyway, that's that's way more than anybody wanted to hear about about that. But you know, if you're still interested, the behind the attraction episode about Haunted Mansion was interesting on Disney Plus. Yeah, so you're you finished this quiz with. 75 points nice Congrats. nice Yay.
0: work thank you and a a...
1: <laughs> new knowledge of washington irving who was apparently yes. an, ambass- an ambassador to spain who knew
0: who knew yeah, yeah. i'm like he wrote about an old guy mm-hmm. and, a, and a dead guy mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. yeah for real well thank you emily
1: yeah you're very welcome thank you and thank you listeners make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that if you want to check out our patreon it's patreon.com slash potent and if you have friends who are into jeopardy let them know about our podcast
0: you can all find us on facebook at potent potables on twitter at potent Podables one our email address is potent cast at gmail.com and our website is potentpod.com.
1: and we'll be back next week with another week of jeopardy and until then may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker